Thank you. All right, today's title is Two Things That Will Stop Us From Experiencing God. Now, that's both individually and corporately. We're going to be back in the book of James today, so if you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of James. I'll be reading mostly from the New King James Version, but I also found some interesting um, translation uh, choices in the Berean Study Bible. So some of that will come from there. But before we begin, let me read you a little story, or tell you a little story, not read you. But <clears throat> A woman had returned home from an evening of church services when she was startled by an intruder robbing her house of its valuables. She yelled, Stop! Acts 2.38! Which, if you know the Bible, because everybody knows that one right off the top of their head, right? Yeah, it says, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins may be forgiven. And the burglar stopped in his tracks. And the woman calmly called the police and explained that what she had done. As the officer cuffed the man to take him in, he asked the burglar, Why did you just stand there while the, while the lady, all the old lady did was yell at, a scripture at you? Why did you just stand there? And the burglar looked a little funny and he said, Scripture? She said she had an axe in 238. <laughs> the book of James was written by the half-brother of Jesus, the son of Joseph and Mary, written in the early 40s. Uh, he wrote primarily to the Jews, since the Jewish Christians were pretty much the only Christians at the time. Hadn't really reached the Gentiles so much. Uh, James encouraged his readers to live consistent Christian lives in the midst of persecution for their faith. In Christ. I'm calling this entire sermon series where the rubber meets the road, if you remember me saying that in the beginning, because James is where the rubber meets the road. James chapter 4, verse 1 through 10 says this Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have. Because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. That you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? But he gives more grace Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, God, I personally ask that you would help me to handle it with grace, that you would speak to our hearts, continue to speak to mine as you have this week over this. Lord, however, I know that if you can use a donkey, I'm hoping you can use me. And I'm hoping, Lord, that you would stir hearts that you would change lives, and that we would leave this place differently 
than when we came in. Oh God, have mercy on us. In Jesus' name, amen. Life principle this week. Conflicts and entanglement in the world will stop us from experiencing God. Conflicts and entanglement in the world will stop us from experiencing God. So what is the answer? The answer is repentance. The answer is repentance. You know, conflict stops us from experiencing God in our personal lives and corporately as, as a church and as Christians when they, when they do arise. James 4, 1 through 2 says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure? Wow, that, that's, pretty, that's pretty right in your face, isn't it? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. And I really like how the Berean Study Bible puts it, and it'll be on the screen. What causes conflicts and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the passions at war within you? You crave what you do not have. You kill and covet, but are unable to obtain it. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask. Have you ever been, ever put any thought into where conflicts come from in your life? Where conflicts come from in churches? Where conflicts come from in the world? It's usually over desires. But much more than that, it's about passions. Passion in our life, you know, is a fantastic thing. It was given by God. So long as the passion has eternal value. Eternal value. Passion for prayer, passion for worship, passion for our spouse, passion for serving others. These things are not only good, but they are desirable in our lives. James here isn't talking about these things, though. He's talking about our passions for pleasure, our passions to have it our own way, our passion in our selfishness. We want it our way in our flesh. That's why Burger King exists. You want it your way, go there, not the church. Men who are married, you know that. You'll laugh at that on the way home. You'd be surprised how passionate some people can be over small things. You know, I've seen arguments in in churches over sprinkler heads. Y'all have heard that story before. I may tell it again here in a minute. I don't know. But I've seen passions over doors. I'll tell that story in a minute. I've seen passions over the color of the carpet and everything in between. You know, I was serving as an associate pastor at a church, and a gentleman, like our back doors that swing, a gentleman, one of the deacons, said, you know, I don't really like these old doors. They're literally falling apart. And they were. The the kick plate was coming off. You couldn't put it back on. It was rotted. So without telling anybody, he took them down. And he hired a man to build some new ones. But he didn't tell anybody. He hired anybody. Only the pastor knew. And I will, you would not believe, as I'm handing out bulletins, how many people come in and go, those doors better come back soon. One deacon even said, I don't know who took these down, but I'm going to find out, and he's going to put them back up. All of a sudden, brand new doors show up, and everybody's happy. I was surprised how passionate people were over a set of doors. 
does it have eternal value? No. I've also seen neighbors feud over things. And many times this ends in physical altercations. Not too long ago, I'll say a couple months ago, I was listening to a podcast because I had to go for a uh, conference, um, Florida Educators Conference in Orlando. And I was listening to this podcast about two neighbors in California who had to share a driveway, and neither of them wanted to give up control of this easement. It was 10 foot by 8 foot, I believe, for access to get on this driveway. So one neighbor in this highly influential neighborhood, as things escalated, he ended up shooting the other neighbor and his wife, killing them both. And he doesn't no longer worry about an easement. He now resides in prison. You know, how did that happen? Well, it all comes down to two things. They're craving over the insignificant piece of land. It was insignificant. When we're dead and gone, somebody else is going to own it. And two, their passion. They were passionate about it. Not only for the land, but eventually they were passionate against one another to get one over on the next guy. Not once did either of these gentlemen let it go. There were many places where there were stops. There were things they could have said, you know what, forget it. But each one had to be right. And it all comes down to the sinful nature of man. Our desires, mine, my pleasure to get what I want, to get what you want. This continues the thoughts that we talked about last week about selfishness. It's about what I want. What will make me happy? Look at me. Give me what I want. We live in a, in a time where microwaves are wonderful. I can put a popcorn in the microwave and hit a button and it's done in about two minutes. If I go three on my microwave, it burns and stinks. But it's done in two minutes. I remember making microwave on the st- or popcorn on the stove. It took more than two minutes. But we want it now. We want it about me. What's good to me? That's what arguments come down to. And then when you get there, it comes down to stubbornness, pride, arrogance, passion, whatever you want to call it. Now, married couples know this well. They get passionate about certain things. Um, when we were first married, we were you know, 19 years, 20, 20 years ago, we were, we were passionate about the toothpaste. You know, why aren't you pushing it from the bottom? Because I don't care. Why didn't you put the cap back on? Because I don't care. You know, he squeezes it from the bottom. You want him to remember the cap. And then afterward, uh, you get mad. You know what one solution is? It doesn't work for us. I just do it her way. But one solution is, is because I, I don't feel that it has any eternal value. One solution is, is to just buy two tubes. You ever think of that? How about reading directions for putting things together? Man, you know what I'm talking about. I'm not going to point out any certain store, <coughs> Ikea. Um, but you have to put these things together and the prefab stuff And you look at these instructions and you go, is this Chinese? It says it's English, but I'll just put it together. And you start putting these things together. And then when you're done, you know, during the whole thing, your wife's here, 
here's the instructions. Read the instructions. Read the instructions. I'm good. I got this. And when you're done, you look at it, and it's just not quite right. And then, of course, the person who's trying to give you the instructions says, I told you to read the instructions. You know, people get passionate about these things. That could cause a fight. Doesn't in my household anymore because I let her read the instructions and do what she tells me to do. That's just how that works because I don't want to read the instructions. Now, somebody will laugh over that later, but anyway. 1 John 3.17 says, But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? If our hearts are closed to those who are around us, how does the love of God abide in us? 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and rose again for them. Proverbs 16.5 says, Everyone, proud in heart, is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. Now, the rest of our main text here says, We do not have because... We do not ask. You know, many times people in these situations forget about one little thing. One little thing. To ask God. You see, when we're walking in the flesh, the last thing that we want to do is to ask God. Now, why is that? Because we inherently know that if we ask God for it, we know deep down that in our being. That is, in our mind, our will, and emotions, we're unlikely to receive it from God because our hearts are not right. They're just not. Let me tell you a little story. Little girl was being selfish to her brothers. And no, that's not Leah. Because she would never be selfish to her brother. Just saying. Hope you're reading that sarcasm in there like I am. But her dad sat her down and gave her this big old lecture about being selfish. And she looked confused, bewildered. And so he thought he was hitting it, you know, getting right into that heart of things. And when he was done, the little girl said, Daddy, I don't even have a shellfish. Number two, loving the things of this world. Stop us from experiencing God. Loving the things of this world stop us from seeing God. James 4, 2 through 6. I'm going to just read over what we've already looked at briefly and then continue because it's one thought. You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. James 4.3, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Let's see how the Berean Study Bible says that. It says, and when you ask, you do not receive because you ask 
with wrong motives that you may squander it on your pleasures. When someone asks God with wrong motives, then they should not expect to receive the thing that they asked for, at least not getting it from God. Why? Because you'd end up squandering it. You'd end up wasting it on your desires, your passions, not God's desires, not His passions, not what He wants. You know, I've seen so much evil and greed has been done in the name of churches when all we need to do, and I know I say all we need to do like it's easy, but we need to humble ourselves before Almighty God. You know, I've seen where in a larger church, or I have seen in a larger church, where contracts don't go to the mid-range builder with a good reputation, but uh, they go to the good old boy network, especially here in the South. I know of a $2.1 million building right now that was supposed to be two stories with a gym and a running track on the upstairs portion, multiple meeting rooms around all different sizes around the outside. Well, that wonderful contract went to the good old boy network. And it ended up spending twice what it was worth, and they only got the first level. The work, by the way, it ain't great. Ten years down the road, and it's falling apart. So what happened? What happened? Well, this guy, for all of his looks, he looks saved. And besides, he's one of the good old boys. Surely he wouldn't spend more than necessary. Surely he would do the church a solid. Well, that ain't what happened. Many times, it will look like someone asked for something, and God came through. You know, a BMW, fur coat, motorcycle, Harley-Davidson, if any of you are keeping track. How do you know it was God? Maybe you didn't see the wheeling and the dealing behind the scenes. Maybe you didn't see the credit that was extended that they really can't pay. That doesn't come from God. It comes from man's selfishness, man's house of cards that, that could come tumbling down in an instant. Don't give God credit for your selfishness. There are two things we do in our humanity, in our sinfulness, that are wrong in this area. Number one, we don't give God credit for His goodness in our lives and providing for us. We really don't. We say, look at me. I've got a good job. I can put food on my table. We don't give God credit for what He really gives us. And number two, we give God credit for something He didn't do. You just clothed your sinful action and selfishness in a religious coat. I've seen people do that. As a matter of fact, I've seen pastors do that. I know of a pastor, and this was years ago. Oh, it had to be 15 years ago, maybe more. He was working on his doctorate. He was at home, a desktop computer. And, uh, you know, they were working on the power lines outside. Nobody knocked on the door. And the power went out. And he lost the last two or three paragraphs. But he called up the power company, gave them a good talking to. And they asked, well, how much is your time worth? Oh, about $30 an hour, which at the time was insane. They paid him for it. I thought to myself, was that the Christian way of doing things? Or is that the world's way? And would I be any better? I'd like to think I would be. I haven't been in that situation. Don't give God credit for something He didn't do. 
He wanted to give God credit for that. I thought to myself, what kind of witness is that? James 4.4 says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. We're called the bride of Christ. Let us be glad and rejoice in Revelation 19. Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then He said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And He said to me, These are the true sayings of God. In our main text, James calls Christians who are working the world system, doing things that are unethical and immoral in their lives and their businesses, he calls them adulterers and adulteresses. To be a friend with the world and its ways makes himself an enemy of God. And lest we not forget, remember God disciplines his children and he will do what it takes to get to our hard-hearted stubbornness. Have you ever been stubborn with God? Oh, I have. I have. I don't like admitting that, but I have. And you know what? You get chastised when that happens. You know, at one point I wanted to put a paddle in my office. And uh, this was years ago. Put a little paddle on a plaque and then put the following scripture on it. Hebrews 12, 4 through 12. Um, And it says this, You have not yet resisted the bloodshed striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten. But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and life and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us, as seemed best to them. But he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness." Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Folks, God disciplines everyone he calls as a child. James 4, 5, and 6 says, Or do you think, the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but He gives more grace. Therefore, He says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. All throughout Scripture, God tells us to be humble and to come to Him in humility. And this means showing our humility in our life choices and in our actions, not just lip service, but in our deeds. The person who is not humble will not receive from God. Luke 18, 9, 
And it'll be on the screen, it's out of the BSB, and it says this, To some who trusted in their own righteousness and viewed others with contempt, he also told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, swindlers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and pay tithes of all that I acquire. But the tax collector stood at a distance, unwilling even to lift up his eyes to heaven. Instead, he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, rather than the Pharisee, went home justified. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Pride and arrogance has been the downfall of many an individual, pastors, politicians, and great businessmen. If your heart is not a heart full of humility, then you need to watch for two things that are going to happen. One, God is not going to give you what you asked for. And two, the discipline of the Lord, if you're His. Let me tell you a little story. A herd of zebras are grazing peacefully. They begin to suspect that lions are waiting to ambush them in a nearby meadow. One of the zebras, however, thinks he knows everything and confidently declares that there can't be lions because lions don't move into the area until the autumn and haven't arrived yet. Now, the other zebras, they're skeptical. So not wanting to be seen as wrong, the arrogant one, the know-it-all, he wants to prove it. Well, he trots out into the suspect meadow and is promptly devoured by the family of lions he insisted weren't there. One of the other zebras shrugs and says, Everyone knows the pride comes before the fall. You get that on the way home, because pride before fall, you know, zebra, never mind. The answer to all of this is repentance. Repentance. James 4 through 7 through 10 says, Therefore submit to God. Therefore submit to God. Therefore submit to God. Therefore, submit to God. We got it yet? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. We're told to submit to God. The original Greek word for that means to submit to the orders or directors, directives of someone. To obey, to submit to, in obedience, submission. A soldier doesn't question his commander. He goes and does what he's told, when he's told to do it. But it's because he knows if he questions, somebody's life may be on the line. 2 Timothy 2, 3-4 says, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. That he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Guess what? Christians will have hardships. Do you know that? Submission to God at times isn't easy. The flesh wants to come right up and take control. And it's our job to push that flesh down and crucify it. Through submission, we don't get entangled with the trappings of this life or the sinful, corrupt system of doing things in this life. 
We should analyze and find not only the source of things that are being said, but what is the logical conclusion? So submit to God by crucifying the flesh and rejecting evil. Once we are submitted to God, which, by the way, will require repentance, then we can resist the devil and he will flee from us. Now we get all caught up on the resisting the devil part and forget the submission part. Without that, you can't resist because you're already entangled in this world. The world's ways of doing things, which, by the way, he kind of controls. To submit to God means to examine one's life and find out where the sin is and repent of it. Repent means to turn away from the things you once did in your flesh and to turn God alone. No one else. This is not a happy message for most people. Why? Because it's uncomfortable. Our flesh doesn't like to do it. That's why the submission part is often forgotten. And that's the meaning of verse 9. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. To know that you have been in sin and rebellion and maybe not even have to have known it against God is an awful thing. It should break your heart. It should bring deep lament, mourning, weeping, and gloom to us. As this mourning does happen, we can rely on what he says in verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. Humble ourselves before God and He will lift us up. Why? Because the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 1, 7-10 says, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. I cannot tell you how many times in today's culture of so-called Christianity I have heard somebody say, I don't sin anymore. Well, if he's willing to lie, you better put your arm around your wife and your other hand over your pocket. Because if he'll lie to you, he'll steal from you too. The answer, by the way, is repentance for us. That's true, unfettered repentance To truly take the time and ask God to reveal Himself to us and show us our sin so that we may confess it and repent of it. If you truly ask, and trust me, if you truly ask Him, He will show you where you need to repent. How about you? Will you do that today? Will you ask God to show you where conflicts and entanglement may be in your life and is hindering you in your walk with God? And then do the answer. Repent. As the ladies come. As the ladies come and sing, I'd, I'd like you to ask yourself a couple of questions. First, do you know that you know that you know that if you were to step out of this room and God forbid get hit by a bus, you'd wake up in heaven? If not, you need to know. If not, you need Jesus. 
you need to know that your heart is right with him. Because it can happen to anyone, any day, any time, any age. You need Jesus.